We'll read the first nine verses, Revelation 17, this chapter being filled with matter and goodness. We will take nine verses to begin with. Revelation chapter 17, starting at verse 1. And there came one of the seven angels, which had the seven vials, and talked with me, saying unto me, Come hither, and I will show unto thee the judgment of the great whore that sitteth upon many waters, with whom the kings of the earth have committed fornication, and the inhabitants of the earth have been made drunk with the wine of her fornication. So he carried me away in the spirit into the wilderness. And I saw a woman sit upon a scarlet-colored beast, full of names of blasphemy, having seven heads and ten horns. And the woman was arrayed in purple and scarlet color, and decked with gold and precious stones and pearls, having a golden cup in her hand, full of abominations and filthiness of her fornication. And upon her forehead was a name written, Mystery, Babylon the Great, the mother of harlots and abominations of the earth. And I saw the woman drunken with the blood of the saints and with the blood of the martyrs of Jesus. And when I saw her, I wondered with great admiration. And the angel said unto me, Wherefore didst thou marvel? I will tell thee the mystery of the woman and of the beast that carrieth her, which hath the seven heads and ten horns. The beast that thou sawest was and is not and shall ascend out of the bottomless pit and go into perdition. And they that dwell on the earth shall wonder, whose names were not written in the book of life from the foundation of the world, when they behold the beast that was and is not and yet is. And here is the mind which hath wisdom. The seven heads are seven mountains on which the woman sitteth. Thus far the reading of God's holy word from Revelation chapter 17, the first nine verses. May the Lord bless us in the reading and hearing of it and now in the exposition of this most sacred book. Here we have in verses 1 through 9 the mystery of the whore Babylon and of the beast exposited. Now before, if you'll recall, in the unleashing of God's wrath in the vials, there was a destruction of the seat of the beast. The vial of the fifth vial was poured out upon the seat of the beast. Now it seems to me the chapters 17, 18, and 19 give an exposition of vials 5, 6, and 7. In fact, all the way into chapter 20, we have an exposition of these vials into 21 as well. So what God has done is in a very brief compass in chapter 16, he's given us, here are the last seven vials that fill up the wrath of God, that lead to the final things and are the final things. Here they are. One, two, three, four, five, six, seven. Now God takes five, six, and seven and gives us a larger explanation of those things. And to preface this exposition, he's going to explain to us, well, who exactly is this harlot? 
What sort of whore is she? Who are her friends? Who supports her? Who becomes her enemy? How does she die? What is her end? That's what he's giving to us. This is why in chapter 17, we have the mystery of the whore and the beast given as a preface to the exposition of the vials, because he's going to take a lot of time to tell us about the whore Babylon. Notice there verse 1. There came one of the seven angels which had the seven vials and talked with me. You remember in the beginning of this book, we have the seven seals opened. Then we have the seven trumpets blown. Now we have the seven vials poured out. And these are the final wrath of God. They fill it up all the way and bring it to its completion. One of those angels, many believe the fifth angel, comes and speaks to him about the destruction of the seat of the beast. He tells John, come hither, I will show unto thee. Now when he says, come hither, it means to the wilderness, as we saw in verse 3. I'm going to take you to the wilderness to show you this vision of the woman and the beast. Now if you recall, someone else has been in the wilderness. Do you remember who it was? Chapter 12, who was driven into the wilderness? It was the same woman crowned with 12 stars who gave birth to a son and the red dragon tried to eat him alive when he was born. In other words, the church of the living God, the true spouse of Jesus Christ, pushed back into the wilderness. Now, you're not going to see the true spouse of Christ, are you? You're not going to see the lawful woman wedded to her husband, giving birth to the son of her husband. What are you going to see? A whore. You're going to see a beautifully decked whore. A cosmopolitan whore. That's what you're going to see. And you're going to see it from the perspective of the lawful wife to the strumpet. See now, he says, the judgment of the great whore. Now in Greek, this is extremely emphatic. That whore, that mega whore, that mega whore seated on her throne. That's what the word sitting means or that sitteth. The word is kathemenos, cathedra. Have you ever heard that word? It's where the bishops of the church who are anti-Christian sit upon a throne to rule over the church. A cathedra is a throne, a throne room. She sits upon her cathedra, in other words, as a whore, as a mega whore. Her nature and character and her activities are described, but she shall be judged. She will not get away scot-free. Men may fail to punish her. God will not fail. In fact, he'll use men to do it, as we'll see later. The Dutch annotations say the following. As the true church of Christ is compared to an honest woman clothed with the sun, adorned with a crown of 12 stars, chapter 12, verse 1. So here the apostate church is compared to a sumptuous loving harlot who, forsaking Christ, the only bridegroom, resorts herself also to other men, that is, to idols and other patrons. Though she may boast of the contrary, 
as the church of Israel also did, and the city of Jerusalem. Who now this whore is and what her judgment is will appear by what follows. That's what they're saying. This woman is going to be a contrast of characters. There is the true wife, there is the mega whore. She sitteth upon many waters. Again, the word means to be enthroned. She is seated as a queen upon the waters. Now remember, what do waters do? Can you walk on water? You cannot. They are unstable. They provide no certainty. They're filled with filth and death and creatures that will eat you alive. There is a hellish abyss below that is the sea. She sits over the powers of uncleanness and hell. That's what she does. And these waters are also called a multitude of nations, of peoples, and of kings, as we will see further on. I note then this doctrine. The woman of Revelation 17 and following was neither a Jewish nor a heathen spouse. The woman of Revelation 17 was neither a Jewish nor a heathen spouse. Who is it that Paul said he was going to marry to Jesus Christ and espouse them to it? It was a church, a visible church. The church is referred to as the bride of Christ, his wife, his spouse. Why? Because Christ is the head and he rules over the church. So wives are told to submit to their husbands as what? The church under Christ. Do you think this woman submits to her husband? She's called an adulteress. That means she professes to be married or at one time was united to a husband and left him. Did the Jews ever profess to be married to Jesus Christ? No. Did the Romans ever profess to be married to Jesus Christ? No. Well, later they did, sort of, you might say. They were more anti-Christian than Christian. But in any case, John is not describing 70 AD and the destruction of Jerusalem. He is not describing the fall of pagan Rome. He's describing a professed Christian Rome that will fall. The kings of the earth have committed fornication, verse 2 tells us, with this woman. Spiritual fornication or adultery is idolatry. God says, here's how you worship as the husband. Christ says, here's how you worship me. The lawful wife says, yes, dear. The harlot says, no, I'm doing my own thing. Commits idolatry. Goes her own way. Follows her own ways. This is no mere Jezebel of Thyatira, a little tiny city, Thyatira. No, this is the cosmopolitan, world-ruling city harlot that we have here. The inhabitants of the earth have been made drunk by her. Not just the kings, not just the civil powers, but the common people too, inebriated with her spiritual fornication. So pleasant. It goes down so easy. This seductive idolatry. But what does wine do? Wine taketh away the heart, takes away your ability to think. It makes you into a foolish person who will be seduced by this woman. He's taken then, John is, into the wilderness 
where the true spouse was driven in chapter 12, verse 6 and 14. He saw the woman now, she's called, verse 3. Now it's very important, before she is called the mega whore, now she is called the woman. Because she's going to ride what? A beast. Now let's ask ourselves, how many women like to ride on beasts? How about a vile beast with seven heads and ten horns clothed in scarlet, rapacious and eating with bare feet and having claws and having all this filthiness and vileness and abominations? How many women do you suppose could tame such a beast? David Piraeus comments, being of the weaker sex and trembling as it were at the sight of a mouse, how then should she not be afraid of so cruel a beast? The Holy Ghost hereby intimating that this woman being stirred up by the infernal spirits did with more than human audacity climb upon and bring the beast under her yoke. Hell inspired this woman. Hell invigorated her to this feat. She sits upon a scarlet-colored beast. Sitting, again, is the word for being enthroned on a cathedral. The beast has grown in impiety. Do you remember his history? He once was a star in God's constellation in heaven. Then what did he do? He fell from heaven. He was judged, brought down, and became what is known as wormwood. Then he became Apollyon and had the keys to the abyss so he could open up and belch out smoke from hell and cause all those little scorpion animals to come forth from the smoke. Then he's the angel that comes from the bottomless pit in chapter 9, verse 11. Remember in the days when God remeasured the temple? He had that reed, which was also a rod, the king's measurements. The temple was measured, the altar was measured, the people were measured, and those Gentiles were kicked out into the courts. Do you remember this? Do you remember what the beast did then? God sent two witnesses. And what did the beast do? He slew the two witnesses. He killed them. He grew in his boldness and his wickedness. Chapter 13, verse 1, he ascended out of the abyss. The red dragon who persecuted the church and sought to destroy her son, what did he do? He received the throne and authority of the red dragon, this beast did. You see how he's going step by step, upward to the throne of iniquity, this beast goes. He was worshipped along with the red dragon. He had universal ecumenical or Catholic power, chapter 13, verse 2 and verse 4. The beast's power supports, he carries forth this mega whore. This royal beast now, you see this? He has red on, he has scarlet. Who wears scarlet? Kings and persecutors wear scarlet. The blood of the saints that is slain and the royal dignity that he is clothed with. He has grown to a pitch of impiety. His throne has been assaulted by the fifth vile. And what will he do? Where will he go? He has names of blasphemies upon his head. He will speak against God, against Christ, 
against his saints. He will exalt himself over all that is called God, 2 Thessalonians 2, 4, having seven heads and ten horns, which we have further detail concerning in the same chapter, verses 9 and 12. The red dragon had this same combination of seven heads and ten horns, chapter 12, verse 3. In other words, he is the successor of the red dragon. He takes his power, he takes his seat, he takes his aspect even. The woman is arrayed in purple and scarlet color and decked with gold and precious stones and pearls. The word decked here means to be gilded or covered over in gold. She is a royal, a wealthy whore, in other words. She has dominion, earthly treasures visible upon her. Now remember, what was the true spouse clothed with? What did she wear? The sun. Where is the sun? Well, it's in heaven, isn't it? Rules over all. What does this woman wear? Earthly treasures. She has no interest in being clothed with the sun of righteousness. She wants to be clothed upon with worldly garments. And so she is. She has exchanged the truth of God for a lie and worshipped and served the creature rather than the creator who is blessed forever. She has a golden cup. Wouldn't you want to drink from a golden cup? Wouldn't you like to have a precious and valuable cup that is beautiful, that shines forth with radiance? What's inside of her cup? Do you want to drink that? Abominations and filthiness of her fornication? Oh, but she looks so pure on the outside. Look at that beauty, those riches, that glory filled with iniquity and uncleanness. The man of sin, the anti-Christian apostasy, Paul told us, we saw in 1 Timothy 3 or 2 Timothy 3, it always has what? A form of godliness, but denies the power. Here's the form. Look at this beautiful cup. Don't you want to drink the wine in the Lord's table? It's the actual deity of Christ. Bow down and worship it. It's the blood of God. And we did hocus pocus to make it so. Abominations, blaspheming the God of heaven, as if men could command God to turn wine into blood and into deity. They cannot. And yet they say they can. It's a mystery, a mystery of iniquity. Upon her forehead a name was written. Babylon, mystery, the great the mega Babylon, the exalted, the eternal city. No little tiny Babylon like the ancient one. No, this one is the final kingdom. It comes after Babylon falls, after the Medes and the Persians fall, after the Greeks fall, after the red dragon of Rome falls. This kingdom rises up as mega Babylon, the mother of harlots, not content as ancient pagan Rome was, well, if you want to worship your gods, that's fine. You just got to honor Caesar and pay your taxes. Then we're good with it. That's what Rome said. You know, the Jews were illicit religion. The Romans licensed their religion and said, you can practice all your rites, all your mysteries, all your worship. What you have to do is pay tribute to us. Obey our laws. 
will punish capital crimes, that's it. This is not talking about pagan Rome. This woman says, all you nations out there, you better be like me. You better adopt my idols, you better adopt my harlotry, my abominations, and become little harlots like me, your great harlot. Papal Rome seduced the nations and kings of the earth with her false mysteries, with her spiritual harlotries, with her sacramental theology among all nations. These abominations are given birth by her, not just the harlots, but the abominations. She is the mother of both. That which is highly esteemed among men is abomination to God. What man invents in the worship of God, what he receives by tradition, what he traces to merely human authority, what does God say of that? It is abomination. Away is his iniquity, he says. I don't want it. Who has sovereign sway over his church? Christ does. Where has Jesus Christ spoken about his worship? Here in the Bible. And what, pray tell, does this harlot say you should think of this book and its laws concerning worship? Forget about it. I've got something else better. You see this cup? It's filled with abominations. Drink of it, all you nations of the earth. And what did they do? Yes. Let us drink. She's also drunken with the blood of saints. Those who would listen to the commandments of God and the testimony of Jesus, she slays them, she kills them, just like the red dragon did. Just like pagan Rome, so papal Rome. Killing the saints of God. Why? Because you won't listen to me, you listen to Jesus. You cannot listen to him, you must listen to me, she says. John then marvels at this vision in verses 6 and 7. The angel promises to exposit this mystery for him. Who is this? What's she all about? The beast, he says, was and is not, and shall ascend out of the bottomless pit and go into perdition. Wait, wait, wait. Was, is not. It's going to rise up from hell and go back to hell. How does this work? The beast, if you understand, God is what? He who is he who was, and he who shall be. It's a threefold, isn't it? God has a relation to time. He is eternal. He is now. He is then. He is forevermore. He is always the same. And what is the beast? Comes and goes, but wants to be some kind of God who rises up from the dead, so to speak. A revival of Rome, you might say taking us step by step down into perdition, but rising up from the ruins of Rome itself. And they that dwell on the earth, when they see Rome revived, what will they do? Wonder. Because God didn't write their name in a book. The book of life, written from the foundation of the world, the elect shall not be deceived. They cannot be deceived. Reprobates will be deceived. They will say, whoa, look at that. Look at that worldly glory restored now in this new kingdom. When the beast that was and is not and yet is. You see that? 
He's sort of there, he's sort of not. He's sort of like the ancient one, the old red dragon, he's sort of not. He's the same, but he's different. You see, this is papal Rome. Now notice, the seven heads of this beast, what are they? They are seven mountains, we are told in verse 9, on which the woman sitteth, the false wife, the wormwood wife, the mega whore, the royal, the rich, the ruling apostate church. Where does it sit? Jerusalem? Mount Zion? The city of the great king? No. Where does it sit? What city in the ancient world has seven hills, seven mountains? What city was built upon seven hills? Let me read to you. You ever want to take a tour of the Vatican? You can go to this website. VaticanTour.com Geographically, Rome sits atop seven hills. The Aventine, the Calian, Capitoline, Esquiline, Palatine, Quirinal, Viminal. Those are the seven hills of Rome. Is Babylon down there in Judea, that tiny little podunk city on Mount Zion? No. Is it ancient Babylon on the literal Tigris, Euphrates? No. What is it? It's Rome. That's where she sits. The harlot, the false wife, the wormwood, the fallen star, all of this describes for us the apostasy, as the apostle calls it, turning their ears away from the truth, saying no to Jesus and yes to the abominations of men. Brothers and sisters, God will destroy this whore, as we'll see in the sequel in the rest of chapter 17. All the kings of earth who are deceived and seduced by her, eventually will say, we're done with you. And what will they do? Burn her city, eat her flesh, burn her with fire, and then comes the millennium. Do we pray, thy kingdom come? Then what should we pray for? God, destroy the beast. Overthrow his kingdom. Pour out your fury upon this whore and conclude all things. Is that how Protestants pray? No, they don't even think that's true. They think it's somebody in the Middle East and they're going to rebuild the temple and then the Antichrist is going to show up. That's what they think. They're distracted. They don't understand. They don't believe. They haven't been taught. And their pastors lull them to sleep. Oh, let's just introduce a little bit more of the Antichrist's abominations into our worship. Let's just bring a little more of his doctrine into our confession of faith. Let's just say that it's not as bad as our forefathers thought. Yes, it's as bad as our forefathers thought. And thus far, the exposition of Revelation chapter 17.